0: Slash great detectives. Well, today begins the last week of season 13 of the great detectives of old time radio. The change in seasons doesn't mean a whole lot, other than that, we finished off another 52 weeks of bringing you great detective shows. Because everything will carry on as to end of next week with season 14. One thing that does matter is that tomorrow we are launching our latest Great Detectives of Old Time Radio uh, t-shirt. So be sure and listen for that tomorrow. Uh, Also, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, I do encourage you to subscribe. You can subscribe using your favorite software, whether it's Apple... Tune in, Stitcher, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash Detectives. But now, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. The original airdate, August the 15th, 1948, and the title is The Critical Author Keeper.
1: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first.
2: Bay Detective Agency.
3: It's only me from over the
0: sea.
2: Oh, Sam, how was it at the beach?
3: Same as it's always. Uh, uh, foggy.
2: Did you go in? Well, I was
3: up to my neck from the first rumble. If you mean did I go in the water, I did.
2: Was it cold?
3: I didn't notice. I was too busy landing a corpse.
2: Oh, oh Sam, what a coincidence. Hmm? I was just reading my new library book, Yeah. and it's all about a body in the water pushed over a cliff, mm-hmm. and there's a strangest girl in it with a, with a strange mother. Figures. And she drinks. The girl and runs away with a chauffeur. They're rich people.
3: They can't do that. They're stealing my material.
2: Oh, no, Sam, no. It's by Owen Fitzstephen. He's very well thought of. Mother always understands his
4: plot.
3: Not tonight, she won't. Stay where you are, Angel. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the
5: critical author (laughs) caper.
1: Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. You know as well as I do, fellas, your hair is one of the first things any gal notices. So it's really important to keep your hair spruced up right all the time. The answer? Why, of course. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose, ugly dandruff. I have a hunch, fellas, she'll help herself to another look if you're using Wild Root. Get Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic in bottles or the handy new tube. It's again and again the choice of men who put good grooming first. Later in this program, we'll have an important announcement. Listen for it. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade.
3: I'm looking over. Oh. The phone. Oh. Yeah, come on in. Let's get this over.
2: Can you wait till I finish this chapter? Hmm? Just a page to go. The detective had just found this girl in a sordid rooming house. Mm-hmm. He had this fight with her boyfriend and boinged him. Boinged him? And now huh? butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. But I don't trust her.
3: What's the name of the book?
2: Morgue Fruit. Morgue Fruit. His last was a spindly stiff. Mm-hmm. That was about this neurotic nurse who was in love with her employer. Effie, how long have you been
3: reading this kind of trash?
2: What's not trash, Sam? Oh, you mean he really makes his characters live. Mm. And I love his detective. He's real hard-boiled like a ha- Dashiell Hammett.
3: Dashiell Hammett? <laughs> Mark your place and come in.
2: All right, sir.
3: <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Uh, Ready?
2: Yes, sir. Oh, I can hardly wait.
3: Ah, that's the way I like you. Eager.
2: To finish the chapter, I mean. Please. I wonder what she's up to. She's guilty, of course.
3: Of course, but why not?
2: You can read it when I'm finished. Oh my goodness, we've got a report to get out And here we are, chattering about books <laughs> Date, August I August.
3: will give the date Yes,
2: Sam
3: Uh, date Philadelphia To uh, Missing Persons Bureau, San Francisco Police Attention, Sergeant Schwartz From Samuel Spade, license number 137596 Subject, Gabriel Leggett Dear Dave I uh, should have handed it over to you at the start But you know me, I'm greedy I cashed the check she'd sent me as a retainer without consulting my better judgment. Gave the money to Effie to pay bills without batting an eye. Borrowed a dime car fare from the corner newsboy without collateral. And arrived in front of the Leggett mansion on Knob Hill without the foggiest notion of what I had been retained for.
6: I'm Gertrude Leggett, Mr. Spade. It's about my stepdaughter, Gabrielle. She's been missing since the funeral.
3: Uh, Whose funeral was that, Mrs. Leggett?
6: My husband, Gabrielle's father. That was nearly three weeks ago. She came to me afterwards and said she was going down to Quesada, to our country place, for a few days. That she wanted to be alone with her grief. But I discovered that she never arrived at Quesada. Do I make myself clear, Mr. Spade?
3: Yeah, except for one thing. Why do you want her back?
6: First, she may do something to disgrace me. She'll undoubtedly try her best to do so. Secondly, unless I get her signature to some papers, in accordance with her father's will, I can't go on living in this house. Furthermore... That's
3: okay, you've convinced me. Now, when she left, what did she take with her?
6: Just one piece of light luggage, and her liquor case, of course. She drinks, you know. Well, it's not my place to disapprove. I merely thought it might help you to know.
3: Well, we could case all the bars in town, but it'd take a lot of time and a lot of money, besides them on the wagon.
6: Well, you might talk to Eric, my chauffeur. He drove her to the station, or says he did.
3: Where do I find him?
6: Let's see. Ten o'clock. He'll be loitering down the hall somewhere in the neighborhood of the linen closet, helping the upstairs maid fold the sheets. Uh, I'd knock first if I were you and avoid embarrassment.
3: Thanks for the tip. Oh, uh, mind if I have a look at your stepdaughter's room?
6: Eric will give you the key. I'm not allowed one.
3: There he is. (laughs) Okay. Oh, Already.
4: Ah. Ah. <coughs> 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 oh, excuse me, sir. Thank you for your kind assistance, Mister Collins.
3: It's okay, Myrtle. Any time. And yes, sir. You, Eric. Collinson. Uh, what can I do for you? I'd uh, like the key to Miss Gabrielle's room. You, the law? Why? You expecting some? Ah, The old lady's been threatening to yell, cop. She decided to whisper instead. Oh, private dick. You catch on fast, lover boy. Okay, I'll uh, let you in her room. Come on. Mrs. Leggett says you drove Gabrielle to the station. She says that, does she? Isn't that what you told her? Uh, I'm not telling you what I told anyone. Suit so yourself. After you. Mm-mm. What's eating you? Nothing at all. Just want some privacy. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm responsible. Go help Myrtle. Give me those keys. Oh, listen. You keep be... Hello.
1: Hi. Right, let me in. do so have your life.
3: Her room was, shall we say, untidy. The mirrored dressing table was chipped around the edges and ranged helter across it between two Polo Pony bookends was a mess of books. Three odd volumes of the Harvard five-foot shelf, a horse breeder's Gazette, and a bunch of detective novels. I picked one up and opened it to the title page. It was called Morgue Fruit, and it was by Owen FitzStephen, author of The Corpulent Cadaver, The Spindly Stiff, and The Kiss-Off. It was autographed to the author's great and good friend, the late Edgar Leggett. The signature looked familiar, but it didn't look like a lead. Neither did anything else in the room. I started to unlock the door with the key on the ring i grabbed away from Eric, and the light caught the smooth side of a Christopher medal. It was engraved for Eric Forever Gabby. When uh, Forever Eric went off duty that night, he went across town. The trail ended at a crummy, broken-down rooming house out in the Fillmore. He let himself in with a key and climbed the stairs. I waited until he was out of sight. In uh, more time than it takes to tell, the door cracked open and a nose that could only belong to a landlady raised it out at me. She was uh, gumming a sense
2: what do you want? They
3: uh, get settled in all right?
2: They ain't nobody settling in on me. <clears throat>
3: Never touch me. You got me wrong, Mom. I uh, meant the newlyweds. Did they uh, raise the rent money all right?
2: Oh, them raised it and spent it. He's to Dick Smither. Dick Smither. Stocks it up all day and throws the dead soldiers out the window. <laughs> and they call it a honeymoon.
3: Who are you? Uh, I'm her uh, ex-husband, darling. I uh, came to pay her the back alimony I owe. Her.
2: Well, give it to me. I'll see if she gets.
3: Oh no, you don't.
2: No, no, don't you come pushing in here. Quiet. It's after hours. Don't allow callers in here after ten o'clock. House rule. Shut up. Well, I don't. What's
3: their room number? Now give it to me, or I'll shake it out of you, darling. Uh,
6: Two twelve. Two twelve. And if it want not for these new uppers, I'd like to try it. Oh,
3: is that what those are? Uh, thank you, Grand Duchess Marie.
2: Smart, Alec. No wonder you can't hang on to a woman.
3: You're so right.
2: You drove her to drink. I did not. Albony's oh, so good for you, young
3: whippersnapper. Who is it? Western Union. All right, let me. Hey, I told you to stay away, and I'll beat it. Hey. Uh, look, Eric, I don't want any trouble, but I'm coming in. Over my dead body. Eric! Get back in the
7: room, Gabby. Now, look, I, I won't let you hurt her, so... Now, so look, I help...
3: Collinson, don't, no, don't no, make no, me don't, do it. Don't I don't wise. want to. Okay, oh, I'm sorry.
4: Eric! Eric! What have you done to me?
3: Nothing a bucket of cold water can't cure. Sit down. I want to talk to you. Who are you? Sam Spade. I'm a private detective. Your stepmother hired me to find you.
4: Oh? You know why she wants to find me? Do you? She wants to kill me she'll kill my father, now she'll kill me.
3: Can you prove that?
4: My father never had a day's illness in his life. He could drink three quarts of brandy in any evening. Do you believe a man like that could die of heart failure?
3: Frankly, I could.
4: Now she's starting to think, kind of talk about me. She wants to railroad me to the insane asylum. Do I seem crazy to you?
3: No. A little nervous, maybe. This idea you have about your father's death. Talk some more, will you?
4: All right tell you the whole thing. But I gotta have a drink first. Hey, I can't get the top off. Give me a hand, will you?
3: Sure. Uh, you need a corkscrew for this one.
4: Yeah, I think there's one down there in the cupboard.
3: I don't see one.
4: Back in the corner. A little farther. There.
3: No, there's nothing in... Hey! Oh! <laughs> I dreamed I was a character in a detective story. The title of the story was Morgfruit, and the author, a man named Fitz Steven, was trying to figure out a way to turn me into a red herring before knocking off his number one suspect. I tried to tell him it's against the rules to make your detective a red herring, but he said it was a new kind of murder yarn, and it didn't matter anyway because there wasn't even a victim.
1: That's what he thought. <laughs> Makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. Now, here's important news on good grooming. If you want the well groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. Remember, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. And here's the announcement we promised you. Now you can get Wild Root Cream Oil, America's leading hair tonic, in a generous new 25 cent size on sale at all drug and toilet goods counters. It's also available in larger economy bottles and the handy new tube. Get Wild Root Cream Oil again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Now, back to the critical author caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade.
3: When I uh, came to, it had came to dawn, and I was still a character with a detective story, and I felt more like a red herring than I had in my dream. I had dragged myself across my own trail and wound up no place. My quarry had fled, leaving nothing behind but empty bottles with fingerprints on them. I lifted the few and hustled over to the Bureau of Identification. Half an hour later, I got the report. They were mine. All mine. I wondered what a detective novelist would make of that. I decided to find out. I had met Owen FitzStevens several years back in uh, Seattle... when I was digging dirt on a chain of fake mediums. He was plowing the same field for literary material, and we pooled forces... I got more out of the combination than he did since he knew the spook racket inside out. I cleaned up my job in a couple of weeks and we parted friends. His San Francisco apartment was on the sixth floor of the St. Mark. He was standing at its door holding out a lean hand to greet me when I got there.
7: Well, you're looking fit, Sam Little
3: red in the face That's yeah, the red herring I ate last night How's the uh, literary grip go? Uh, you haven't been reading me? No, where'd you get that funny idea?
7: Oh, there was something in your tone As in the voice of one who has bought an author for a couple of dollars <laughs> I suppose you're still hounding the unfortunate
3: evil jewer? Yeah, that's how I happened to look you up uh, You autographed a book for Edgar Leggett Oh, yes, yes, fruit, Distressingly prophetic uh-huh. What do you know about that family? Oh, what have they been up to now? How well you know the girl, uh, Gabrielle?
7: Well, quite well, since she's a duplicate of her father. She has brains, but there's something black in her—something she doesn't want to think about but can't forget. She's a neurotic who keeps her body sensitive and ready. I don't know what for. While she drugs her mind with drink and lunatic notions, yet uh-huh. she's cold and she's sane. If I had something I wanted to forget, I'd anesthetize my mind directly, leave my body, stay strong and ready. I uh, hope you don't think any of this stuff means anything to me. Oh, yes, I remember you now. You were always like that. Tell me what's up while I try to find one-syllable words for you. You uh, know the fellow that drives for him? Eric? Mm -hmm. Well, he was released from Folsom and Leggett's custody when he was 18 years old, murdered his father.
3: Nice kid, what about him? Uh, Mrs. Leggett hired me to find Gabrielle. I found her with Eric in a rooming house out in the Fillmore. She begged me to save her from her stepmother's murderous schemes, then she knocked me cold. Mm, well, that's trivial. And dull. I've been thinking of the Leggett family in terms
7: of Dumas. and you bring me a piece of Jim Crackery out of O'Henry. <laughs> While we're writing this, Gabrielle would kill her stepmother, or dupe Eric into doing it for her. Or, no, that won't do. Not sufficient motive. Murder has to have a motive, you know. Why? She's uh, insane, isn't she? I wonder, are you saying that carelessly
3: or do you really think she's off? Well, I don't know. She's uh, got a kind of a wild look about her. Her eyes shift from green to brown and back without ever settling on one color. Uh, How much have you turned up on her in your uh, snooping around, Owen? Are you who make your living
7: snooping, sneering at my curiosity about people... And my attempts to satisfy it.
3: No, we're different, Owen. I do mine with the object of putting people in jail, and I get paid for it, though not as much as I should. But I do mine with the object of putting people in books, and I get paid for it, though not as much as I should. Yeah, but what good does that do? Well, what good does putting them in jail do? It well, relieves congestion. You put enough people in jail, and cities wouldn't have any traffic yeah. problems, Nespa. Well, then all you have to do is to wait till one of them kills the other, and put the
7: survivor in jail. It's simple.
3: Yeah, but who's going to kill who?
7: Perhaps they both have plans. Both Gabrielle and her stepmother.
3: Looks as if you'd have to guard both of them. I think I'll settle for my client. As far as Gabrielle's concerned, her husband ought to be able to watch out for her. Her what? Husband. She and Eric got married.
7: (laughs) Well, now there you are. You didn't tell me anything about that. Lord knows how much else there is you haven't told me. Uh, Pardon me. Don't go away. Telegram, sign here. Uh, Thank you. There you are. Thank you, sir. Now, I wonder what... Ah, Good Lord, this is positively corny. Listen to this, Spade. I appeal to you as a friend of my dead husband. Come immediately, Sunset Hotel Quesada. Trouble, danger. Do not communicate. Gabrielle must not know. Signed, Gertrude Leggett. Spade.
3: Yeah, Did you have this wire sent to me as a prank? I was just going to ask you if you sent it to yourself as a prank. Hmm. I have it. Hmm?
0: The key
7: to the whole thing. It's a red herring.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think Stephen would be able to hold out very long against his professional curiosity, and I didn't imagine he thought I would. I caught the next bus for Quesada. Quesada is a one-hotel town pasted on the rocky side of a young mountain that slopes into the Pacific Ocean some 80 miles from San Francisco. I got there at 11-something that night, stepped down from the bus and crossed the street to the Sunset Hotel.
5: All right, all right, keep your shut-up.
3: Mrs. Leggett registered here. What's your name? Owen FitzStephen. Oh, she left a message
7: for you, said uh, for you to wait right here and don't leave till she gets back.
3: Yeah, she say where she was going?
7: Oh, well, it's probably over visiting with her daughter and new son-in-law, new over to the
3: cove. How do you get there? Well,
7: you would never be able to find it at night uh, unless you, you went all the way around by the East Road. Yeah, Not yeah. then, I'm sure, unless you knew the country. Well, how do you it's get per- there in the daytime? Well, uh, you go down this street, you take the fork on the ocean side uh, and follow that up along the cliff easily enough found in the daytime, but you you never, never, never in the world.
5: You, you yeah, okay,
3: okay, heard yeah, you yeah. the first time. So I waited until morning, stupid me. I found the road out to the point that had never really been a road. The side of the ledge became steeper and steeper until the path was simply a narrow shelf on the face of the cliff. The cliff that sheared off 150 feet or more to ravel out into the ocean. A breeze from the general direction of China was pushing fog over the top of the cliff, making a noisy lather of seawater at the bottom. Rounding a corner where the cliff was steepest, I chucked my cigarette over the edge and watched it spin downwards. And that's when I saw it. I had to go waist-deep into the Pacific to lift the body. I got my hands under the armpits, found solid ground for my feet, and dragged it up beyond the high tide mark. It was Gertrude Leggett. Somebody came staggering down the beach to meet us. She dead? Yeah, Gabrielle, she's dead.
4: Oh, oh, the witch is dead. (laughs) Hey, take me back to town, will you? Buy me a drink, huh?
3: Sit down there. Sit down.
4: (laughs) What's the big idea? Don't you know I'm sick?
3: Somehow, I don't think you're that sick. I think it could make some sense.
4: Sense? That's a laugh. You don't know me. I've never been able to think clearly the way other people do. No matter what I try to think about, there's a fog that tries to get between me and it. You understand how horrible I can become going through life like that?
3: Nobody thinks clearly, no matter what they pretend. Thinking's a dizzy business. A matter of catching as many of those foggy glimpses as you can and fitting them together the best you can. Trouble with you is you've been enjoying your misery. You've been so busy trying to prove that you're nuts, it's a wonder you haven't really driven yourself nuts.
4: How do you know I haven't?
3: Because you're too anxious to admit it.
4: All right, I'm sane if you want it that way. I'm just evil. There's something black inside me.
3: What was that again?
4: Something black. Everybody knows that about my family. My father, too.
3: Who told you that?
4: I always knew it. They say my real mother killed herself. But I know better. I know how to open the drawer where she keeps the gun. Every day, Gertrude lies on Mother's bed, and we play killing the witch. Yeah. And she comes in in the night and bends over my crib. And she's changed herself so she looks like mother instead of a witch. But I know better. And I hold up the gun with both hands. It's very hard to pull with both hands. It's very hard to pull the trigger. But I must do it or the witch will eat me up. And then there's a big noise. And red all over.
1: And I can't get out. I can't get out.
3: Listen to me. You were beginning to make some sense. Now don't run away from it. Gertrude was lying on your mother's bed. That's your stepmother?
4: Yeah. She, she was my nurse. She married Father. Not so I...
3: fast. How old were you when your mother died?
4: Four. Four and a half.
3: Did your father know about the game with a gun?
4: No, I don't think so. Did anybody? Gertrude said I must never tell anyone because they'd send me away. And I never did. Not till I grew up. I was with Owen FitzStephen. Yeah. I had a lot to drink. I told him. After that, he began seeing Gertrude. Then finally, my father died. But it didn't do her any good. Because Owen really loved me.
3: Now, watch it. Now, let's get this straight. You'll have to straighten it out again later on with a doctor to help you. This is to help me. When you were a little child, Gertrude taught you that killing the, that killing the witch game... to use you as a murder weapon against your mother... Then she filled you full of ideas of guilt and fear so you'd keep quiet about it. When you told the story to Owen, he blackmailed your stepmother into knocking off your father. That made you feel responsible for his death, too, so you ran away.
4: Now, Gertrude said I killed her, too.
3: You might, but I doubt it. Now, uh, try and remember. Was Owen up here tonight?
4: I thought I heard his voice. But I hear voices sometimes. I'm hearing it again. Listen, do you hear anything?
3: I didn't hear anything but the wind and the beat of the surf at first. But when I did hear the voice, I sent Gabby for a doctor before I investigated. He was pretty badly mangled in the rocks. He'd fallen nearly as far as he'd pushed Gertrude, but was still alive. I made him as comfortable as I could, and finally he opened his eyes. Hello, Sam. You messed yourself up good. Yeah. No more
0: rocks for me.
3: Not unless you make Alcatraz. You
7: know, I had half an idea when you came to see me in San Francisco... that you were secretly nursing some exceptional,
3: idiotic theory. Thanks, Owen, but I never had any theory. The whole thing
7: dropped into my lap. Don't be too sure of that. Understand at present, I admit nothing... Later on, if I'm forced to, the very number of my crimes will be to my advantage. On the theory that nobody but a lunatic could have committed so many.
3: Well, there's not so many. Only Gertrude, your co-author of the murder of the late Edgar Leggett. Uh, nonsense.
7: Crimes and crimes dating from the cradle. Even literature shall help me. That's your own books. Why not? Didn't the critics agree that the spindly stiff bore all the marks of authorial degeneracy? Evidence, son, to save my sweet neck. And I shall wave my mangled body at them. A ruin whose crimes and high heaven have surely brought sufficient punishment upon it.
3: Yeah, you'll probably make a go of it. Legally, you're entitled to beat the jump if ever anybody was. Yeah. Legally?
7: You mean Insane?
3: tell me the truth, Sam. Am I? I think that's what they'll say. But that spoils everything.
7: It's no fun if
3: I'm really cracked.
7: No fun at all.
3: Period and a report.
2: Just goes to show, doesn't it? Now,
3: there you go again, Effie.
2: I mean, if anything like that happened in real life, you wouldn't believe it.
3: You mean if anything like that happened in fiction?
2: Oh, no. The author is never the guilty party.
3: Well, this author was.
2: But that's not fair. The author is never supposed to be guilty of anything. You're right.
3: You're right, Effie.
2: He shouldn't be even a suspect. Maybe a red herring, but... Type
3: that up, Effie.
2: Oh, all right, Sam. Anything else, Sam?
3: Yeah, phone the drugstore and order some red herring.
1: I mean, some aspirin more and more folks are turning to famous wild root cream oil every day wild root cream oil gives you all you ever dreamed of in a hair tonic it grooms your hair neatly and naturally the way you like it the way other people like it what's more wild root cream oil relieves dryness and removes loose ugly dandruff so join the millions with handsome hair Tonight, or first thing tomorrow, ask at your drug or toilet goods counter for Wild Root Cream Oil. Also, ask your barber for a professional application. If you've never tried it before, get the generous new 25-cent bottle just introduced. It's Wild Root Cream Oil's get acquainted size, and once you've made the acquaintance of Wild Root Cream Oil, you'll find you've made a lifelong friend. Come on in, trickle toes. Well,
2: here it is, Sam. And I like it even better than Morgue fruit. You did. I mean, it's not so realistic. Mm-hmm. I like a romantic-type story myself. You do. The, of atmosphere and psychology and those.
3: Oh, you've got to have those. You
2: really should be a writer, Sam.
3: <laughs> well, you think so? Of
2: course, detective stories don't pay much. No, that's true. But if you write enough of them, mm-hmm. and look at all the material you've got.
3: No good. Never do for fiction.
2: But, Sam, there's already that radio series, The Adventures of You-Know-Who, Sunday Night.
3: That's what I mean. I don't make a penny out of it.
2: Well, it's your own fault. Sam, I don't want to seem critical, but... If you played your cards right, you could have owned a piece of that show.
3: What? And follow Blondie? Go home, Effie.
2: I think I will, Sam. And just curl up with a good book.
3: All right.
2: I wonder who killed who.
3: Well, when you find out, don't let me know.
2: Oh, you know you can't wait.
3: Yeah, (laughs) I can. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart.
1: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Speer. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Loreen Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd. Musical direction is by Lud Gluskin, with score composed by Renee Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. This is Dick Joy reminding you to get wild root cream oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get wild root cream oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, baldy. Get wild root right on.
0: Welcome back. This is one of two programs where the Detectives radio series is considered to exist in-universe. The other, of course, is Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The difference here is that it really does seem to be more of a gag. Just kind of a throwaway line between Sam and Effie. Whereas, in the Bob Bailey, Johnny Dollar era... This became the basis for several plots. This program also stands out because the air date is the same date as my mom's birthday. I did an Amazing World of Radio special for her 70th a few years back, and I actually ended up choosing to do Man Cold X as the mystery element as I thought that was more up her alley overall. At any rate, we turn to listener comments and feedback now. Jay uh, writes in regarding the dry martini caper, Sam Spade is one of my all-time favorites. Besides the dialogue in the dry martini caper, which is laugh out loud, funny, I enjoyed Sam's description of the hotel that wasn't even a flea bag because the fleas had died. To show how bad it was, it had quote-unquote Mission Furniture. That furniture would probably be worth thousands of dollars today. Well, that's a good point, Jay. Not being from California, and not being all that familiar with furniture either, I assume that by Mission Furniture... Sam was perhaps referring to some furniture that was used that had been bought from like a Mission Thrift store. I guess it does kind of depend on what Sam meant. Over on Instagram, Jeffrey writes... Uh, that was hilarious. Should be on a best of one day. Well, there are definitely a lot of candidates in the Sam Spade series in that regard. And then we also have some comments from YouTube and some comments on the Rushlight Diamond Caper. One, uh... Uh, listener writes, uh, there was a radio station in Dallas-Fort Worth, 97.1 KEGL, that did weddings in the 80s. Their morning DJ at the time was ordained by the Universal Life Church. He did dozens of them. The church ordained a lot of people. I actually got ordained myself so I could perform the ceremony for my best friend, and actually still do. Interesting. Had not heard about that sort of thing happening. You know, can't imagine it would have happened during the golden age of radio. But it's interesting to know because I'd never heard of something happening like you know that regularly in any of my modern uh, radio listening either. Uh, And then, uh, finally, we have uh, Judy, who comments, uh, Does anyone know with any certainty whether Lorene Tuttle was featured in these Bernadette episodes? To me, it sounds like her voice on several of the actresses. Yes, she was on vacation. This was a regular practice she had of taking a... three-week summer vacation. Actors need vacations just like everyone else. and If they're smart, they'll take them. And if they've got the income to do so. For someone like Lorraine Tuttle, she worked a lot in radio. It was not nearly as demanding as, you know, television or movies, but she was very much in demand on a lot of dramatic and comedic uh, radio programs. And Sam Spade was a a 52-a-week-year program. Any break that she took would have to be worked, in during the season. And summer was a great time to take off if you were working in radio as much as she was. So many of the big comedy and variety programs, as well as quite a few dramatic ones, did go on summer break. Oh, so every summer, Lorreen Tuttle went on vacation up to the mountains. And certainly, uh, this wasn't the only program where someone would take a break. There were a lot of ways for covering for this, particularly if you weren't dealing with the star. You might not have character appear in an episode or you'd come up with some way to have them out of town. On The Adventures of Superman, for example, you rarely had the main cast of Superman, Harry White, Lois Lane, uh, and Clark Kent all in the same episode. Certainly, they wouldn't all be in a string of episodes. So, you had lots of vacations, you know, that could be worked in in that way. And you'll find in the entertainment industry for many, many years, where they were putting out this very high output... They would just work the schedule and find ways to work the plot in order to keep the pace of the programs coming. Across the Pond, a good example of that could be seen with the uh, first six seasons of Doctor Who. The series was turning out way more than 40 weeks per year in uh, episodes, and filming every week with limited retakes, and you just could not keep everybody going that long, so they would have actors uh, take a uh, vacation during the filming, and they would arrange things so that their character would disappear for a couple weeks. You know, in one story, the, the story was, you know, Barbara's up on the spaceship, and so she's not in this episode or these next two episodes when the actress who played Barbara was off on vacation. American television quickly got into filming things in blocks and pre-recording things well in advance. So that sort of thing didn't happen in television after the early 1950s in the United States. All of that to say, Lorene Tuttle was on vacation and any actresses who sounded similar to her wasn't her. She was off having a good time in Utah. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Sarah, Patreon supporter since March of 2017, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Sarah. I really appreciate it. That'll actually do it for today. A reminder, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, you can do so using your favorite podcast software, including Google Podcast, Overcast, Stitcher, or the uh, Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash detectives. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video by hitting the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and uh, hit the notification bell to get notified whenever a new episode is released. We'll be back next Monday with another adventure with Sam Spade, but join us back here tomorrow for I Hate Crime, where... Eddie held the paperweight high. Cop this. Water down, I
5: rolled. Eddie tripped over my knee. He was on his stomach. I chopped with the ham of my right hand across his neck. Just one little sound out of him, and that was all. I put the paperweight back on the table, frisked Eddie for a gun. No gun. Grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. Pushed him into a chair. Used the water in a vase of flowers. Okay, basher. Start talking. Come on, <coughs> don't, don't! why did you slug me? Look, look I, I can't afford to pay. More... Pay? Hey. Why can't you afford to pay? i have borrowed to the hilt. You'll you have to wait. I can't let you have know, for at least a month. I took out my wallet and showed Eddie my license. No, How can But I, I, I thought... I know what you thought. Blackmail is a little out of my line. Didn't anybody ever tell you that I hate
0: crime?